Due to some confusion during a long period of time between recording and writing the script, there may be some indiscretions between dates. For clarification, Matthew, the child, was eight months old when he died, and he died five days after being admitted into hospital. Uh, welcome to this episode of The Clueless Co-Host. My name is Milo and I will be your host for this case. With me today is my co-host Max and we also have present our editor KJ who will be helping behind the scenes. This episode is for entertainment and educational purposes only and we have no intention on causing distress for the people involved nor do we aim to make accusations. Everything we speak of has been found on the internet um, and so the information is available elsewhere we are just accumulating what we found on the internet through research uh, if you want to be more involved check the description of this episode for links to our social medias and our public discord which is open for the discussions of true crime supernatural experiences and historical anomalies to all our viewers now that we have our formalities out of the way i would like to set a scene before you fair warning before i begin this case has de descriptions of injuries to children and alleged child abuse the year is 1997. A young British woman by the name of Louise Woodward dials 911 from the home of an American couple for whom she nannied. In front of her lies five-month-old Matthew Epen, struggling to breathe. She begs for the help of the responder, saying that the child is, quote, barely breathing and, quote, not focusing with his eyes. Paramedics rush to the Boston home, finding the infant on the dining room table, struggling for a single breath and jerking around on his back. Matthew is rushed to Boston's Children's Hospital, where he is met by his parents, both of whom are doctors. Surgery begins at 5.30pm on the now comatose child. Now, some backstory to this event. Louise Woodward was born on the 28th of February 1978 in Elton, England. It was in July 1996 that she moved over to the States to begin her life as an old pair, a live-in nanny in exchange for her services and childcare for housing during the time she spent overseas. However, this arrangement seemed to have caused trouble for the independent teenager. By the time Louise met doctors Sunil and Deborah Epen, she had already gone through one family and come to the agreement that she wasn't working out well with them. She was laid off due to refusing to accept a curfew and staying out all night in the bustling social circle of Boston's nightclubs. This may have ended her first job, but it did not put her off enjoying her youth, which included drinking alcohol. When she met the Epens, a similar issue occurred. She, she sometimes struggled to keep up with the busy family due to her long nights out, which caused stress to both parents as she was known for sleeping through times where she needed to be caring for the young children in the house. The doctors were parents to two beautiful boys, Matthew and his older brother Brennan, who was about two when Matthew was born. The relationship between Louise and the family began well, but soon the issues of her wanting dependence led to excess stress being put on the household, something that Louise's presence was meant to assist in, not make worse. This led to a confrontation between Louise and Sunil and Deborah, which occurred just a week before the case began. So what are we thinking so far, Max? Um, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. Hello, it's like, had a good relationship, um, and then literally a week before something went wrong, there was an argument. That's it's, a bit... It, definitely. It's, it's not looking good for um, Louise so far. No. Definitely uh, not. Regardless of anything that may or may not have happened in the following week. Um, you know, she's already not on great terms with the family she's meant to be caring mm. for. Um, but hey, it could get worse. Could get worse. Just a little just... little hint. It, it, it could get worse. 
foreshadowing a horrible yeah. horrible thing <laughs> well already would you this raises a question that I think we're going to discuss later on but mm-hmm. she's really young here isn't she she's yeah. about 17 18 mm-hmm. and That's she's a f- our age. she's our age she's a full-time carer for children mm-hmm. who are like two does she have any qualifications uh from what I could find she literally I think she spent a while at college but I don't think this was in the 90s obviously so yeah there were a levels and o levels they were all really different but i don't think she had any she definitely didn't have any childcare qualifications right see that's the thing like working in childcare obviously i'm not qualified yet because i'm only 17 and i'm on a course and i'm working towards qualification but i would not be trusted with children on their own for that long i work at a playgroup with two other people present at all times i'm not allowed in a room alone with the children really um, there needs to be someone else like I can do certain things but I would not be trusted for longer than about maybe 10-15 minutes alone with a room of children so I don't understand why especially if they're doctors why they would um, trust a 17 year old to look after their children like I know babysitting's a thing but if you're not qualified and you're doctors I just don't I don't get it you know yeah, definitely. I mean, they are doctors, so you'd think that they had a, a better understanding of what is the expectation for childcare. Yeah. And um, but and and I'd assume they'd have like more finance to be able to pay for someone who's qualified because doctors get paid. Well, I know, but like doctors tend to get paid a considerable salary. I'd think that they would be able to afford someone with better um, training, but I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Louise, basically, I think she did have a payment. She did have like a monthly wage or something. But also part of her payment was living in the house. She didn't need to worry about rent. She didn't need to worry about housing or anything like that. She lived with the family. Mm. So that was, I think, a big thing for not only her, but them as well, was they had this constant around the clock care for their children. Yeah. But it was to someone who really didn't have the qualification nor experience. I could understand, like, giving the odd babysitting job to a teenager. That's a thing that happened quite commonly back in the 90s and stuff like that. Like, if you were going out for the night, you would have a babysitter who would come round every now and then. But I don't get why if you had someone living in the house, you wouldn't mean you wouldn't want them to be a professional. But that's just my view on it, I guess. Yeah, definitely. It is quite... It's just... It's very 90s. It's very 90s of something that, you know, we look back at now in 2021 and think that's absolutely insane. But but from what I remember researching, I wrote this quite a while ago, was that she did have some experience babysitting, but it was like a few hours. Yeah. She she did not have the experience of a living nanny, nor do I did I find any evidence she had experience with children as young as this. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Um, Younger children need more care. I work with children aged two to four and they are um, considerably more of a handful than older children. Um, and the ratios within childcare are different for ages. So it just, it is a bit, a bit weird to think that a 17 year old is being trusted to look after a two year old for that long of a time, you know, it's just, it just seems a bit of a stretch for me if she doesn't have any experience but I mean I'm not going to shame the parents it was a different time and obviously if they thought she was um good enough to look after their children it's their 
choice who cares for their children. I just find it a bit bit weird. But you have experience working in childcare as someone on a childcare course. So, yeah, you know, yeah. there's a little bit of insight. And I live with a five-year-old sister. So we'll move on now. But already, this is not looking great. No. Um, but what happens next is pretty unprecedented. It's, you know, yeah. when you think of a 17-year-old taking care of two-year-olds, I think of, like, boiling water from the stove pours over them or some, like, you know, some horror story that you hear from people who babysit young, like, mm. oh, they fall off their bike into the road or something like that. Oh, God. But not this. So on the day of the 911 call, Louise had taken note of some differences in Matthew Epen's behaviour. The baby was whining and grumpy, which was out of nature for the normally friendly and bubbly child. Louise took note but didn't think of it as important and so went about her day as usual, bathing Matthew and putting him to bed for an afternoon nap. By this time, both busy parents were at work and Louise was home alone with the children. In a later interview with police, Louise allegedly admitted that Matthew's behaviour was, quote, irritating her, which some believe may have led to the events that followed. At around 3.15pm, Louise went to check on Matthew in his crib. It was here that she saw his state of distress and rushed him downstairs. She attempted CPR on him whilst trying to call his parents, but neither picked up. It wasn't until half an hour later, at quarter to 4pm, that she placed a call to 911 and got Matthew rushed to hospital. See, if I was in that situation and I didn't know what to do, I would immediately phone for an ambulance. It does strike me as weird that she would leave at half an hour. That half an hour is what, honestly, it's what throws me, is she couldn't get a contact with the parents. And this isn't half an hour after, you know, she necessarily found the child. This was a good time after she couldn't contact the parents. Yeah. I get you you want to inform the parents, but if something like that is happening, you need to phone someone who knows how to help. Um, Uh, If you're not getting through to the parents, you will call 911 immediately. Yeah, it's her hesitance with calling emergency services Mm. that for me seems a bit strange it just shows that i don't think that she's qualified enough to be caring she doesn't have that natural instinct no which i think would be very important when caring for these young children i get i get that she's panicked but when you're in a state of panic and when something like that's happening i feel like you would know to call like like the ambulance or whatever who could actually help the child if you don't know what to do Definitely. I mean, if I'm home alone with Briley, my little sister, and something goes wrong, I'm calling the police instantly. I'm calling an ambulance immediately. Yeah. I'm a, I, I'm a hypochondriac with other people. I get if it was a small thing, call 111, but I would call, if I didn't know what to do, I would call the NHS to some extent, you know. But that that in itself does raise another question, which is in America, because of they don't have a universal free healthcare, there oh, is a there is yeah. a different way of going about things like this because she may have been in the state she would she'd lived there for quite a long time mm-hmm. a few months from what I remember maybe about a year she would already have that in her to not immediately call an ambulance because it's like I, get, I yeah. think thirteen hundred dollars mm. is an incredible amount of money. Sometimes I forget they don't have the NHS over there their health insurance every time they have like even like a major injury they have this whole thing of will we be able to afford it even if they have health insurance I didn't really take that into account because I 
since I knew she was from England, I once again assumed that it was an English case, which it's not. It must be difficult, like, every time there's, like, a issue to have to worry about how you're going to pay for it and whether or not it needs an ambulance or it needs, like, going to the hospital. Like, that's... It's just... It's it's horrible to think about. But Yeah, so I kind of bring this up to give this idea that that in yeah. a way that is an explanation for that half an hour wait yeah, i understand is, it a bit more now yeah yeah even doctors you know you're in that position where can we afford an ambulance if it were me or you we'd call an ambulance we're yeah, not going to get yeah, charged yeah. for that we don't see that cost but in america you know there's a reason that like 90 percent or something like that of the gofundmes currently up are medical bills yeah yeah, from things like minor surgeries to cancer treatment yeah there is no universal health care in america and that's something that we need to take into consideration when thinking about this english girl's hesitancy i personally wouldn't feel comfortable calling an ambulance in america no i wouldn't i wouldn't know does the person who calls the ambulance get the charge does the person carrying in the ambulance get the charge there's a lot to consider and i I've also heard it's like very rare for people to call an ambulance in America. Like even if it's like a really serious situation, they will drive to the hospital. Um, there was this once like the dude that thought he'd like broken his leg or he had like really bad injuries. He still got himself to the hospital because he couldn't afford an ambulance. There's kind of this um, phenomenon of people using Uber and lifts to get mm. to hospitals because they can't afford an ambulance. And it's, you know, this is kind of a, a, a sidetrack, I guess, but. You know, it's always yeah. good to have a commentary on America's um, health system. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah. we've gone through the settings of this case, right? A young English teenager, a busy, intense household, and two very young children alone in her care. And this does raise a few questions. Do you think Louise should have been allowed alone with the children? I mean, we know the parents had issues with her and she's clearly showing an inability to take her position seriously. But what do you think about that? Do you think, and I am posing this as a question, and I'm in no way insinuating that I believe Sunil or Deborah had any part in their child's death. They didn't. Okay, they had no part in their child's death directly. But having said that, do you think that there is a position that can be taken against the parents in this situation? Was leaving them alone with this teenager that they clearly didn't trust much if they're having this semi-constant arguing with, um, putting them directly in harm's way? Or are their busy schedules as medical professionals excuse enough for this oversight? I, okay, I can, I can see this to an extent because, like, if you've, if you've been living with this person for that long, even if you have disagreements with them and you have a very busy schedule, I could understand leaving your children alone with them because you have no other options and you need to go to work. Like, you need to have money to pay for your children to support them and I can get like even if they weren't like currently finding a different um way of caring for their children or finding like a different professional to help them if they were having disagreements with um Louise yeah Louise yeah if they were having disagreements with Louise I could understand like them just leaving it as it is for a while because you you can't just suddenly uproot the way things are when something goes wrong um, or when something happens that you don't like because that is a lot for someone to do. It's a lot for them to not only kick out a young teenager um, and leave her to 
try find another place to live but it's also a lot for them to find someone else and employ them and talk to them about rates and stuff like that so I get it it is um it could be um taken into account though that they they did employ a young teenager with lack of experience and they that can be taken into question as to why they thought that was a valid choice um but I I don't think they have responsibility over the death of their children or their child um or the incident because they I I get it is what I'm saying I get why they would even if they had concerns why they would leave it because it takes a lot of time and effort to change things and it can't be done immediately what I think we need to consider is that we are looking this from a point of the event has already happened. Yeah. We have all the information handed to us mm-hmm. and we are told to have an impartial view. That's not going to happen. As two people who have experience in this kind of, not childcare, but we... I mean, I do, but... You yeah. have, and I, you know, grew up taking care of a young child. Mm-hmm. There is this kind of explanation in a way. There is this, Yeah. I understand. Yeah. A lot of people... Yeah see cases as quite like it's happened the people aren't affected but like it must have been difficult even if they wanted to get rid of her there's a lot to think about how to go about it and if they would feel responsible for like where she's going to live and stuff like that so I I, I get it I, I can understand why they wouldn't um wouldn't just change everything if it had been working for a while just because they had a disagreement um, it is quite difficult to point blame anywhere here when you really look into this case and go beyond that surface level understanding that we're going to get across today. Um, but with the facts we have now, it isn't easy to fully place blame on anyone. There's always another argument. Sadly, that seems to be how true crime cases go. There's very rarely a name to put the blame onto, and there is that lacking of closure that so many people wish for. After all, even with the details that we are about to discuss that quite obviously paint Louise herself as the main antagonist, we do need to keep in mind that she was only about 18 when this happened, and we ourselves are not that much younger. No, I'll Um, I'll be 18 in just over a year. No, just under a year. So it is It is a lot to, like, if something like that happened, it is, we are not, like, obviously we're at the age of criminal responsibility, but it is, um, it is a bit of a dodgy area, isn't it? I mean, there's a reason the age of consent is 18. There's a reason yeah, that yeah. the age for voting is 21 and stuff like that. It's because we are not fully, you know, we're not fully mentally matured. And there, yeah. are people, there is studies to believe that, we reach mental maturity about 25 years old. Yeah. Louise was just about 18. So there is that. She's not, I'm not saying she's innocent, but what I am saying is there is an easy defense for her. Yeah. There's a bit more consideration going a, into what happened and why it happened. I mean, she was a child. She was yeah. quite literally a child, but you know, we'll, we'll carry on. Um, I for one know that childcare especially around the clock isn't easy at all and anyone with younger siblings knows that especially if your home life is hectic already mistakes happen all the time but what Louise did I think you'll all agree goes a lot further than a mistake so now we return where we left off Um, I will warn viewers again that what we're about to talk talk about is intense and tragic and not easy to hear or listen to. 
If you're upset already or you're sensitive to subjects of abuse or death, please do not continue watching. Uh, for a summary of the case, Matthew did die. Um, and a court was a court case was then put in session as to who the responsibility for his death fell onto. Was it his parents through criminal neglect or was it Louise through direct abuse? It And it's not an easy thing to... It's not easy to consider. It's not easy to talk about. Even that can be distressing. But in the end, Louise was charged initially with second-degree murder, and then it was reduced to manslaughter. So that's the end of the story. Louise was found guilty of manslaughter. But here is the case in which those charges came about. So if we're all good, and everyone who is currently listening is comfortable listening to this, we'll carry on. On the 9th of February 1997, at 10.57am, Matthew Epen died. He was surrounded by his family and held in his father's arms. This death elevated Louise's charge, which was posted as assault when she was arrested the morning of the 911 call, to murder. But first, we must understand how Matthew died. So, again, there's a little bit here. Louise was pretty much immediately charged with assault of a child she was charged with the assault and as you probably anyone who knows a lot about true crime knows um when even if it was just assault if the person who was assaulted dies immediately that can raise your charge to murder manslaughter of any degree Mm -hmm. so that's something we need to consider is she was not initially charged with manslaughter obviously He, he didn't die but it's when he dies that the reason for her charge to be um, brought up from assault to murder. But first, we must understand how Matthew died. When Matthew was initially brought to the hospital and examined by doctors, it was noted by his own mother that he had bleeding behind his retinas. This may have been a sign of trauma to the head, which lined up with the form of child abuse known as shaken impact, or better known to you and I as shaken baby syndrome. Max, you probably know quite a lot about this, considering you're um, somebody works in childcare. Yeah, like in um, so back at when I was in GCSE, um, I did a child development course, um, and we touched a bit on like su- sudden infant death syndrome and th- those sort of things. Children are like they little babies are very easy to harm, um, but with with um, I don't think if we did much on. Um, shaken baby syndrome because that's obviously a like quite a how you say quite like a forceful thing um it's something that only I if if I'm if I'm like knowing correctly it's something that only really occurs when you've caused significant damage to a child it's something that only happens like if it's purposeful really but it it is very very um harmful to a child basically yeah so it's a it's a pretty severe thing yeah to have happen yeah uh, upon further examination his skull was found to have a two and a half inch crack this had caused his brain to swell into the space uh, which can easily be a fatal issue brain swelling anything like that is a very severe thing this swelling may have also caused the bleeding on his brain that was found by doctors known as subdermal hematoma Doctors also found his spine and neck to have hemorrhaging, which is a condition where lots of blood vessels rupture and start bleeding out into the body. Immediately, eyes fell onto the boy's caretaker, Louise. 
it was suspected by professionals that Matthew had been a victim of shaking or some other severe trauma that could have caused substantial injuries. Detailed examination also noted a sprained wrist on the child, which had clearly been there for some weeks. Now, this is one of the things that about this case that almost causes doubt on the shaken baby syndrome is this was an old injury. This was, I think it was semi-healed or something like that. He already had a sprained wrist, which isn't, I'm sure isn't uncommon for children falling over, grabbing stuff like that. But from what I could find during my research, there was no treatment. He did not have a, a medical history noted of the sprained wrist. So they never went to see a doctor or hospital once for again, it. like yeah. we said, yeah. with um, the healthcare system in America, those things might be treated differently over there. Because I know I've heard a lot of stories of American people who only ever go to the doctor if it's something really serious because they're going to have to pay a bill. I could understand not going for a sprained wrist because it's just a sprain. But when it's on a child that young, I feel like there would be um, sufficient concern and they would take some sort of action to care for it. Yeah, and his parents are doctors. Yeah, exactly. So they may well have felt comfortable treating. But again, just something to cause to throw some question onto this case is that he had a historical injury Um, again not uncommon with the child and I'm not making any insinuations about that Uh, on the 7th of October 1997 the trial of Louise Woodward began in Massachusetts up until this date she'd been held in a maximum security prison and denied bond for the severity of the charge in some states um, and I think in England but I'm not too sure you can't get get out on bond or for something as serious as murder. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of f***ed when you consider that you can for grievous bodily harm, rape, sexual assaults, things like that. But again, this is not a critique of the justice system. It's just, I'm saying it's a bit weird. Um, the trial lasted up to 22 days, calling on doctors present at the child's admission to hospital and his autopsy, the parents of Matthew and Louise herself as a witness. Uh, The trial was surrounded by conversations of the morals of nannies and, in more extremes, the roles that women hold in the household. This very historical debate was brought back up due to the injuring of this child. The trial was very long and intense with a lot of witnesses, um, especially professional witnesses. So right now we're just going to go over the main cases for both the prosecution and the defence to get an understanding of where the trial kind of sat regarding Louise. The prosecution against Louise Woodward used quotes from her initial interviews with police, which happened on the day of the child's admission into hospital, to paint a picture of an unprofessional and quick-tempered woman who mistreated the child out of frustration. The report of Detective Sergeant Bill Byron claimed that Louise had told him she, quote, tossed the child on the bed when the child was cranky, quoting her saying, quote, I was a little rough with Matthew when giving the baby a bath, which may have ended with her dropping him on the floor. But there are conflicting reports on this point. However, in court, Louise flat out denied these statements. She said, I did not say that. That is um, a bit dodgy. But from what we can see from former true crime cases, a lot of the times the advice from lawyers and attorneys is to just deny. I did not say that. I don't care if you've got it in writing. I don't care if you've got it on video. I did not say that thing. And 
it kind of brings into question the morals of having a lawyer she did not she just she didn't say i said that but i meant this she said i had the connotations of this she just said i did not say that to that person to be fair i can understand a lawyer telling you to do that because if you deny it and they don't have any evidence to back it up it's not as concrete as saying yeah i did say that but i i'm gonna have to say like if i could understand like i could i could get where she's coming from if you're not qualified and if you're a bit annoyed like i could get that but the bit where she like dropped him on the floor i'm like if that's something that actually happened and she said that it doesn't like it it just it makes me like worried because like it makes me feel like has she done it before to the child has it been something that's happened before whilst the parents are away have the parents seen that happen you know it might have just been because she was a bit upset because he wasn't behaving as well as he was before for whatever reasons like you said he was a bit would you say he was quiet or just a bit not himself he was cranky he was kind of playing up he was being a like a kid if they had a fever is yeah. the best way i can explain it is you could tell he wasn't in the best place yeah yeah not feeling well yeah being just being a little rough like i get it's difficult with stuff like this because i can understand it to an extent like i can understand sometimes you um sometimes it is you're not always as gentle with them but there's the line where it is no longer just being a little rough and when it draws over to abusing the child, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's difficult in these cases to defend someone like Louise because you don't want to seem like you're condoning child mm-hmm. abuse. Yeah. But I, I can, can say, as someone who grew up taking care of a, a young person, mm. at times it's very difficult to remain fully patient for a long mm. time. But the most you do is, you know, you get angry. You don't touch the child. You do not lay your hands on that kid. Mm. And I'll go into more detail about, you know, the claims that she was making. Basically, there was the report from Bill Byrne, Detective Sergeant, said that she tossed him onto the bed Mm. when getting him dressed. So rather than placing him down, she kind of threw him. Um, And later on, or here, but later on, I think I mention it. She is that there's this kind of question about whether she dropped the child on the floor yeah. of the bathroom, which to me is insane. Did you or didn't you? Yeah, you would remember something like that. Like, I, I bloody well would remember something like that. Dropping a child on a floor? Yeah. The thing That's is, a serious thing. Yeah, thing as well. I've had like incidents within like childcare where like because you have to change nappies where they're they when they've um been put down or when they've sat down they've hit their head on the bathroom floor instead of on the um mat if something like that happens you immediately have to write it down in the instance book it's something that you feel guilty about happening like it's something that you take note of and you make sure doesn't happen again it's not something that if happened you'd be like oh i'm not sure if that happened it's something you would remember yeah definitely and uh, a head injury like that even though it may not immediately have severe consequences, mm. it can probably have some pretty severe consequences yeah. down the line. You know, yeah. latent even injuries. With little children, even just a bonk on a head, like even just a little um, hit on the head is enough to concern parents and carers. If it's something like a dropping from a significant height onto a bathroom floor, that's definitely something you should be concerned about. And that's something you would remember happening. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. Uh, but Louise just flat out denied ever saying anything about dropping the child or tossing the child. So, mm. you know, we need to yeah. take that into account. The defence called on the hammering of the media on the teenage girl, unfairly labelling her as guilty before a fair trial had taken place. There was medical evidence put forward to show that Louise could not have been guilty of abusing the child, which was not challenged by the prosecution. So basically, in the prosecution's case, at no point did they say, did they comment on these this report? They right. kind of ignored it, which mm. isn't great. No. In my research, and I looked at a lot of websites, and I, you know, I got a lot of conflicting information especially from, you know, a case like this. I was able to find a report that claimed this evidence included a lack of swelling in the brain, which would have been present if the boy had been injured on the day of the 911 call and the surgery. This seemed to prove that Louise did not shake him, at least not on the day of the call. Louise stood fast throughout the trial on the fact that she, quote, didn't do anything to hurt him or harm him in any way, end quote. And mm -hmm. that is a quote from Louise in her yeah. defense now again this is a quite a in a this is a very bad case right when i say what happened was awful a young child died and there's a chance that it was uh, a sign of abuse mm -hmm. but it does call into question the media because could you see this as a case of guilty until proven innocent yeah see the thing is with cases like this once they are put in the media the media automatically will write the person um in a really negative light even if they don't have all the facts because the media and as a public we are way more likely to believe someone's guilty than someone's innocent for whatever reason it's just the way that we the way that we are perceptible to things if there's even just a small amount of evidence or even if we just have the smallest amount of information for some reason and because of the media we are more likely to believe that that person has done the thing that they have been accused to do um which is really horrible when you look into it and it's like it's a lot to think about why we as a whole like for some reason are uh, like we're more likely to believe that when we should really be thinking they're innocent until they're proven not to be um but the media definitely doesn't help the media will exaggerate and will um chalk things up to what the individual writer believes is true um and to what they think will sell more they're not going to post just the objective facts every single thing in media is biased um and it's it's exaggerated to sell more papers or to get more views because they need more money basically don't trust the media <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there is this kind of phenomenon in the media, especially around child abuse cases or cases that seem very cut and dry, guilty until proven innocent. And that is a huge issue because the jury itself needs to remain fully removed from the case. Yeah. They cannot have any interference by media. They cannot be swayed by the media to one side or another. And there have been cases where the whole trial has been thrown out because the jury was not protected by the judge from media commentary. Yeah. So, you know, Louise being 18 and this child being like, I think it was one or two. He was, a, you know, years yeah. old when this happened. It does like bring into question months, sort of. 18 months. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's just something to think about. Yeah. 
she stood fast the whole trial and said, I did not hurt this child. And she denied ever saying that she could have. So, again, you need to con- take these things into consideration when talking about a case like this. Yeah. Now, the final ruling. The final ruling of the trial ended with Louise being found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to a minimum of 15 years in prison. This ruling caused shockwaves throughout those involved in the case, both positive and negative, and immediately a campaign against the ruling began, demanding her charge be downgraded from second-degree murder to manslaughter. This campaign was successful, and on the 10th of November 1997, just over a week after Louise's original charge was decided upon, it was downgraded. This caused a decrease in her final sentence, and the judge decided on time spent as her punishment, which accumulated to 279 days in a maximum security prison where she was held before her trial. In summary, Louise spent no time in prison for the charge she was handed by a jury. Okay, now that's really dodgy that it went from minimum of 15 years to under a year in a security prison. 279 days, I think everyone can agree, is a a ridiculously short amount of time to spend in jail for any murder. Regardless of age, regardless of of conditions, that's, unless it was self-defense. It's not even a year. It's not even a year, it's less than a year. She spent less than a year in jail. And this was time before the trial. She was not found guilty when she was going through this. Which again brings into question whether or not that time spent was actually a genuine punishment for her crime, she was not being charged at that point. She was not Mm. actually undergoing a punishment. She was just being held there to ensure her safety and ensure that she would not, like, run away, essentially. However, Louise did not get off without punishment, even if it was not in jail. Ever since this case, Louise has been labelled as a, quote, child murderer by the media, and that is their words, not mine, which has hammered her and her family since 1997. In 2014, an article by ABC News covered the birth of her firstborn child, born on New Year's Day 2014, describing her as, quote, Louise Woodward, the British old pair who was jailed for the shaking death of eight-month-old American Matthew Epen in 1997, end quote. This was just one article, but it is indicative of how Louise's name was used in the media, even nearly 20 years after her sentencing. You can even argue that the article is incorrect, as technically Louise did not spend any time in prison for her charge. She was not jailed for the death of Matthew Epen. Even today, occasionally she'll make an appearance in the media, such as simple things like walking her child to school. This raises a fairly relevant topic. Is it right for the media to not only decide the fate of a person before their true judgment, but to continue pushing a decades-old trial for the purpose of selling issues? Do you find there to be a moral issue here, or do you see this as a consequence to her actions? See, this is the thing. If, like, people will hammer in the um things that they believe and if majority of the world believe that she's guilty because the media at the time said so they will want to continue selling stuff on her so the more information they find out the more likely they're going to be like oh let's reignite this and sell more copies and it's just it's 
horrible because it doesn't give her the chance to live a new life. Like, if she didn't do it or if it wasn't something that was, like, if she states was true and that the jury, like, decided wasn't um, right or wasn't what happened, why should she, she still be punished so cruelly for it? Like, it happened years and years and years ago. And sure, you could say, oh, she wasn't charged for long enough um, because she was originally going to be charged with 15 years and then she got away with um, imprisonment for under a year, which is still crazy. But I don't don't think she should be labelled for that long because at the end of the day, she got away with manslaughter, you know? Um, it's, it's just, it's just, it's just weird when you, it's just hard to think about when you look into the, like the, um, the, the little bits about it, that people are still rattling on about it now when there are more important cases happening currently, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, not only does this raise the question as to whether it's fair to Louise, is it fair to her children? Is it fair to her family? Mm. These people who have done nothing wrong. Yeah. See, that's the thing. The more it comes up in the media, the more likely it is that her um, her children's friends' parents will hear about it and then it will affect them and their, their children will know about it and they're going to bully this kid who over something that may or may not have happened to their mum when she was a child. It's just... it. It's difficult in cases like this, but I don't think it's something that family of the accused person should have to suffer with because they weren't even alive when it happened. You know, it's it. it people just like to slam on things and go back to things that happened ages ago where she's even if um even if she did face her original sentence, she would be out of jail by now, wouldn't she? So, I don't... It's just yeah, annoying. give or take out of jail? Yeah. Well, minimum of 15 years. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I can't do immediate maths, but yeah. yeah. It's just it's just annoying. It's, it's not fair to keep um, slamming on her and her children and family when she's served what she was supposed to or when she's, um, like, things have gone by. And I know it's, like, horrible if she did take this child's life and, yeah, she should have to face the charges and she should feel guilty for it if it was something that she did but I don't feel like that should go on to her child you know I don't feel like I don't feel like it's fair to remove the privacy that the child has and put the child into the public eye because it's just a child like the child has nothing to do with it but yeah yeah definitely it is something to bring into question about the treatment of any person um regarding that stuff uh by the way feel free to add your own discussions of this case in the discord or in the comments below uh we would love to see someone uh, other people's opinions on this case um especially if you know you've done research into the case before you know information that we don't or you have a deeper understanding of the case it would be really cool to see just a variety of opinions on whether louise's treatment years and years you know decade after the actual crime took place whether that's a fair consequence to what's actually going on now um, so today we have covered one of the most famous British true crime cases in recent years, Louise Woodward and the death of Matthew Eapen. 
This case will forever be covered in scandal and intense emotions, and is a fair point of great contention in the media. An 18-year-old was present when an eight-month-old died of severe and horrendous injuries. Whatever your view you take on this, you must be remembered that the true victims here are Matthew and his family, who lost a beautiful and sweet young boy. The nature of his death may never be clear, as both sides stay dedicated to their arguments, which may have the unfortunate consequence of keeping away closure from the tragic loss of life. Um, so, having gone through all that, does anyone have any final words that they want to say on the case? Um, I should have brought this up sooner, but did like did the parents have a stance on whether or not they thought she was guilty or not? Like, were they the ones to accuse her? Um, from what I can see, her her parents were on the prosecution. Okay. I think they believe that she killed them. She mm-hmm. killed Matthew. Yeah. But there is also a debate. They were kind of, in a way, put under the spotlight of prosecution as to whether they acted mm-hmm. correctly for the safety of their child yeah. by leaving him alone with this person, even though she had a track record of being unreliable. Um, the historical injuries that there's evidence, you know, as mentioned mm-hmm. earlier on, that the injuries that killed him may not have even taken place on the day he was that that nine one one call was made. Mm-hmm. It is, I think. Overall, it's just it's it's a horrible case because it it's it is likely that it could just be a, um accidents of someone unqualified because accidents happen all the time in childcare, especially if you don't have experience and with a child that young, when you are still a child yourself, if you're put under the care of that child, accidents will happen. Um, even if it wasn't an app, like if, if if it was like something that she did purposefully obviously it's obviously still horrendous it just goes to show that like people should know how to look after children because it is a life you know like I don't I don't feel like people should just let anyone look after their child because it is it is a really serious thing that needs to be taken seriously because so many things can go wrong and so many children die because of accidents made when they were young because people just don't know how to look after them properly or people make mistakes and it's it's just unfortunate it happens often well thank you so much for listening to us discuss this case and we hope you enjoyed it today's script was researched and presented by me milo and i would also like to thank the various media sites that gave me the ability to research this case properly You'll be able to find mine and my co-host social medias in the description below. There will also be a link to our public Discord, which we really recommend checking out as we are often very active to talk about the cases such as this. I would like to thank Max and the Discord members for their insights and support for this case and to our editor KJ for making this all possible. We hope you have a wonderful day and look forward to seeing your opinions in the comments below. Thank you and goodbye. Bye.